Welcome everyone to another episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'm your host, Sean Hall, Director of Programming with the Veterans Breakfast Club. We're a nonprofit in Western PA whose mission is to create communities of listening around veterans and their stories to connect, educate, heal, and inspire. Uh, every season, we do a movie review uh, episode. And usually we do uh, like post 9-11 movies because there tend to be not as many of those as, as World War II movies or even Vietnam movies. Um, but uh, our review board, uh, which is Ryan All, Army veteran, uh, Evan Malgrave, filmmaker, and uh, Catherine Guyon, who's a news anchor. Um, uh, it was Ryan's turn to pick the movies. He did decide to do two World War II movies. I won't I won't spoil which two movies they are right here. We're going to dive right in. So please like, share, subscribe, and ring the bell on YouTube so you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes. And you can always email me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N, at veteransbreakfastclub.org. And for next season's movie review, uh, you can send me an email uh, or send us a message at VBC to let us know if there's a particular movie that you would like to see us watch and, and review. Uh, we had a lot of fun with this episode, so I hope that you enjoy everybody. Uh, it's good to get the band back together here for a fun movie review. Today we're going to be doing Fury starring Brad Pitt and Overlord starring a bunch of guys. Um, so, <laughs> so we're excited to dive into it. Evan, everybody, Ryan, Catherine, welcome back. Uh, you want to give us a quick uh, hello? How's it going? Uh, Evan Mulgrave. I'm a filmmaker. I uh, worked on the documentary for the BBC. Uh, we left his brother's. Um, which I believe is coming out in January. Um, that, oh, uh, we're finally releasing. Here. Yes, knock on wood. I <laughs> believe what I heard was January. But uh, yeah, uh, documentary about um, six Vietnam veterans returning to Vietnam after uh, their um, 50 years since the last time they were there. So Awesome. Ryan, welcome <laughs> back. Hello, everyone. Happy to be here. Uh, I can take all the blame because I selected the movies to review this time. Uh, my name is Ryan All. I am an Army veteran, uh, a veteran of a few tours in Iraq. Uh, I will be retiring from the military soon, and now I work for the VA's Vet Center program that provides free and confidential uh, readjustment counseling to veterans and their families. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm going to need some readjustment after watching Overlord. I think Catherine as well. Um, <laughs> but Catherine, welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me again. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Catherine Guyon, um, news anchor by trade, passionate about telling veteran stories and uh, shedding a light on veterans' issues. Um, coming to you today from my Christmas tree because I needed to brighten up my day after watching one of Ryan's movie selections. <laughs> if you've been following the scuttlebutt for some time, uh, every season we've been enjoying doing a movie review. Usually we pick like a post 9-11 movie, uh, but this time was Ryan's selection. We got two World War II picks. Uh, we got, uh, as we said, Fury and Overlord. Uh, what do you guys think? We should start with Overlord maybe? Yeah, we have a lot to say. We have a lot to say. <laughs> All right, so Overlord uh, is uh, a movie by Paramount. Um, it, it, it Ryan selected this and in the email I'll give a quick uh, a quick story that he said Nazi zombies and uh, immediately my mind said Nazi zombies I searched for Nazi zombies I found a movie called Operation Nazi Zombies and I do not recommend ever anybody ever watching that movie um, if you find it on Flixbling pass it up it's it's not <clears throat> worth the time uh, but uh, when we finally found Overlord uh, I actually I'll say the first bit here and it's a refute only of Catherine's dis dislike of the entire movie is that half the movie is actually a fairly decent World War II movie. And I don't know if I can find another uh, more authentic bombing run in the first probably 25 minutes of a movie than Overlord. If you're just looking for that, go watch the first 25 minutes. 
Okay, I, I will say like I I'm with you there. So like we got right into it there. There was action right away. I was like, okay, this is gonna be like we're gonna get right into it. Maybe this isn't gonna be as bad because I was like, okay, there's no zombies right away. Which let me preface my hatred with saying I hate everything scary. I don't like Nazis. Or, of course, I don't like Nazis, but I don't like zombies. Excuse me. And I don't like just any type of movies like this. So I thought I was gonna hate it from um, the get go, and then I. It got into it and I was like, oh, okay, maybe this won't be so bad. And then it got bad. <laughs> Ryan, why did you pick this movie? <laughs> so I was super excited uh, when this movie first came out, right? There's this whole undercurrent of if you ever played like Call of Duty, there's a whole like Nazi zombies sub game. And then that's become more and uh, more prevalent in some of the later Call of Duty. So this was just like, I was so excited when this movie came out to see that done by J.J. Uh, Abrams production company and Paramount and to see it on the live screen. So uh, I just thought it'd be a fun movie. And then, you know, I saw it and I don't know, you know, if I have quite Catherine's level of disdain for it, but mostly my uh, disappointment with the movie was it just didn't meet expectations for me. Uh, it really was not. It's, it looks awesome. It's pretty cool. It wasn't exactly Nazis. It's more like the or Nazi zombies. It was you know, it, it's these guys infected with the serum or whatever, and they're unkillable. It was kind of weird. Um, but there's a lot of tropes in the movie, which I kind of was like, come on, man. There's like the crusty corporal and the hard-nosed sergeant who dies. And then like they're 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 invading France. They're the first night. They haven't even been there like four hours, and they're already like reminiscing and talking about books they're going to write back home. And I'm like, I'm like, you guys can't stay focused for like one night? What's going on here? You haven't even been away from a warm bed for, for more than a night. So there was just some of that going on too. Which I, And then of course they had the, you know, the the uh, the crusty Italian guy who, mm -hmm. <laughs> that, that whole arc, archetype that exists in like every World War II movie. But, you know, overall it was, it was pretty cool. But um, yeah, there, it, for me, it was mostly just, I, I expected so much out of it. Evan? I gotta what say was your I initial liked, take? Yeah. I liked it. Uh, I, I saw it when it came out and uh, I love horror movies. Um, and, uh, you know, I felt like if the thing that I can say in favor of Overlord, and I think especially compared to Fury, Overlord knows what kind of movie it is. If, mm. if I can give it that, you know, I think it, it has a very, like, it's not trying to be anything more than kind of like this pulpy B movie action romp. It doesn't try to do anything weighty or try to, you know, like make itself out to be anything more than just that. Um, mm -hmm. I also like Wyatt Russell kind of going back to the outpost where, you know, Clint Eastwood's kid kind of does a Clint Eastwood impression for two hours. I'm fine with <laughs> Kurt Russell's kid doing a Kurt Russell impression in an action movie. Like I was like, oh, this is kind of like, I, I'm I'm totally fine with that. Yes, yeah. and I you grew know. up playing uh, Castle Wolfenstein, mm -hmm. and this is oh, probably yeah. as close as you'll get to playing like watching a Castle Wolfenstein movie. See, Catherine, there there was your initial problem is that you didn't grow up playing Castle Wolfenstein or Call of Duty Zombies. I mean, you know, Barbie didn't have like a zombie edition, okay? <laughs> that is a million dollar idea right That's there. Money on the table. Right that there. is serious. 
Um, uh, I'm going to let somebody else come up with that or go after that idea because I don't want to be responsible for, you know, <laughs> corrupting the little young ones that like to play with Barbie. So. <laughs> I, I mean, I loved, if I knew nothing of Overlord, if you had never said Nazi zombies, just go watch Overlord, don't look up anything about it, I would have got into the first hour and been like, this is a fairly decent World War II movie. Like, like I really enjoyed the first, you know, first half hour of it, and, or not half hour, but the first half of it. And that's when things started to like, I guess, sort of fall apart. It was like, they really wanted to pull a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe and expand this thing, it seems, because it was like, we're going to tell part of the story of a, of a crazy Nazi lab that these guys have to go blow up a radar tower, but they end up finding out that there's sort of, this, like you said, Ryan, a serum that doesn't really create zombies per se. It creates like superhumans that are undead. And the serum is very vague. The serum works... Uh, it'll turn a guy who's dead into like a crazy person who mutates. It could turn a guy who's not dead into a superhuman who doesn't feel pain. Um, it, it, it's like it could be whatever they wanted it to be, really. And it was like, you need to be a little more specific about what that serum is, because anybody can just start injecting it. And then what are we going to get with it? Well, that's what they did. They didn't know what it was. He brought it back from that, you know, single solo rate of that compound, which that's the whole place that the movie lost me but like we'll get to that later but like they bring it back and he has a vial of it and then he's like oh my buddy might die here i'm just going to inject him with it and see what happens like you thought that was a better idea <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's where zombie that, movies always go wrong that's a fair point and i thought the same thing i'm like when i when that first happened i'm like that's your go-to move you're gonna stick this unknown serum in your buddy who just died who by the way you sent one guy up to get a prisoner that's I know. just not but like, okay, let's throw that out the window. Like, not a big deal. But um, they really did. They, you, I think you're right, Sean. They, they really left it hanging with like Operation Sequel. Like, should have, should have been happening. Um, I tell you what would have made the movie for me. I can, if, if there had been some sort of scene where they're like locked down somewhere and just having to mow down zombies for like a good 10 minutes i would have been like this movie's great <laughs> like i wanted <laughs> to see just mass destruction and 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 uh you know killing of as many zombie nazis as possible like that would have like if there had just been like one 15 minute scene with that i would have been i would have been much happier with the movie and there was also like so they got to this village that's outside of where the radio tower is there's there's sort of nazi guards everywhere they get taken in by a french resistance fighter who's I guess grandmother or mother worked in the lab and she had some exposure to this serum. So she's just sort of like this weird mutant thing that is conscious, but not deadly. Cause they, you know, she's living in the house. So there was that whole side of it of like, okay, is she a zombie too? That was very unclear. I needed more clarity on who's zombies and who's not. And what does this serum do? And, you know, maybe I, maybe my zombie movies, I need to be a little more highbrow. I don't know. Well, like that, so I was saying this earlier, but like the only time that I usually get to watch these movies is like in the morning, you know, I get up and I get on the elliptical and I, you know, watch our movies. So, because I'm by myself, there's no kid distraction, whatever. So I'm, I'm going along, I'm like, okay, I like this movie. And then there's that scene where that woman kind of like pops out of the uh, door. Mm -hmm. I almost fell off of the elliptical. Like I could have billed you guys for work-related injuries. I mean, it scared the living daylights out of me. That's how jumpy I am. <laughs> but I saw her your, and I was like, what is she? Your husband is in the other part of the house and all I hear was, ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I will say though, at the beginning, like I said about the bombing run, it, both Fury and Overlord, I thought did a very interesting sense of scale. You, re I think you had a really good idea of the level of uh, firepower that we were sending out there, especially the part, and I'm not gonna get too far ahead of myself, in Fury, where they looked up and they saw all of the bombers coming over. Um, that was something that I always imagined, like if I saw something like that, like what would that make me feel? And you felt that at the beginning of Overlord, all of those planes just you know, uh, going on this run and that sense of scale I thought was really well done through both movies. Yeah, I would agree, I would agree. Yeah. I would agree also in the idea of like the rules of the serum kind of being like, you know, the writers could do whatever they want with it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's a movie where people are mutating and fighting, you know, uh, you know, knocking each other into giant pits of tar and things like that. <laughs> I was okay with that. You know what I mean? It I it totally worked for me. Also, there's one guy that got injured and he's in the lab and he has the thing suctioned to his chest and they just pull that mm -hmm. out of him and suddenly he's like, you know, fighting Nazis like 20 minutes later and the dude was like, what was he? Was he getting injected with anything or is he just laying there on the table getting like a a thing sucked into him or like <laughs> Yeah. I had yeah. a real that was the only part of the movie that made me kind of go like cringe like i was like what's gonna happen when he pulls that thing out like mm -hmm. <laughs> and there are there were other you know parts of the movie it is very it was it was uh makeup and and, and visual arts it was, it was pretty visually stunning in a few parts including mm -hmm. being pretty gross at some points when you're seeing some of those lab scenes but like that one you know made me cringe where it's like this thing sewn into him and then you're like okay like i, I guess it was just there like a needle or something because he seemed fine afterwards but yeah it was definitely cringeworthy and do we really this is a serious question does does i mean any movie nowadays we know how bad nazis are but we always for whatever reason need a reminder about how bad nazis are like he shows up at the french resistance lady's house and you think things are going to go real south real quick obviously that he's going to try something with her and i'm like i don't know if i need a reminder of how evil nazis are like we know we know they're evil you got to consistently show us that they're evil, doing evil things like executing people and everything. It's like, yeah, it's a Nazi. So let's continue to have scenes where all the Nazis are doing these terrible things. Like, thank you for, again, the reminder that Nazis are terrible. That whole scene made me really uncomfortable. Like a, a lot of the things that the house did and it was like that whole scene, but also like, can we talk about the little kid? Like, he, was a, he was a good actor. I mean, yeah, but he like, he creeped me out and like the fact that he was like kind of witnessing like that whole scene and then like the way he was with the americans that were there i i don't know it just like it felt like a little bit of uh, I, I don't watch horror movies so i know somebody's gonna get on me for this but what's that movie where the two kids are at the end of the hallway shining, and shining. yeah okay i obviously i've never mm -hmm. seen it but like i was like is it is this from what i know of it i was like is this the kid from the shining because like you have that kid and then you have the hallway where they the not zombie zombie woman is i don't know he just weirded me out a little bit <laughs> yeah i think you... oh, oh good no good please well i like grew up watching like reanimator and like weird Stuart gordon movies back in the day and those movies were made for zero dollars <laughs> so for me i think <laughs> just there's a certain uh like thrill i get out of watching a studio put 35 million dollars behind a movie 
where they're like, yeah, yeah, people are going to be transforming. People are going to be knocking each other all around and making something that pulpy and that strange. I, like, I, I don't know. Those sensibilities are interesting to me. And to watch a, a studio make that decision was <laughs> uh, pretty wild in, in my estimation. <laughs> it succeeded have- in that. It succeeded definitely in like, I felt creeped out. I felt stressed. I felt scared. It succeeded in those things, Ryan. Yeah, I was just, I was looking up because uh, Evan just mentioned it, that it was made, you know, its budget was $38 million. Um, and it surpassed that. It made, because I want to know how much money it made. So it made like just under $42 million. So that's probably why we're not going to see a sequel. Like if you just barely, <laughs> you just barely, you know, break even, probably not going to happen. But one of the other things that I did think was interesting about the movie is, um, uh, you know, the guy who basically is the main character, uh, Wyatt private Russell? voice. Well, I guess you could call them co-main characters. I was okay. thinking oh, the, uh, voice, yes. Voice, right. So um, he's very idealistic and he's pretty consistent, like the whole way through the movie. And he really drives the plot forward in a lot of key points by, by being idealistic. Like had he been a, you know, cynical warfighter who much like you know uh corporal ford uh russell's character um you know the the movie really would have gone nowhere it'd have been like okay you know like all right let's let's uh let's let's get out of here i don't think they would have succeeded had they not had um that guy so i think he's an interesting character in the movie and, and i really uh enjoyed i enjoyed his acting because i haven't seen him in many things maybe that's just me maybe i haven't seen him in anything but um yeah i did enjoy him as a as a character and as an actor i thought he was very good agreed well one point on that and just also a side note is that uh if you do watch this movie our audience uh keep an eye out for the brooklyn is he new york brooklyn new york character Mm -hmm. yeah that Mm -hmm. yeah i'm sure actually yeah yeah, john john (laughs) mcgarrow is his name i actually went to college with him um it took me a minute to recognize him as i was watching i was like i know that voice where have i heard that voice before uh i've done some acting with him way back in the day when we were in acting school together great guy he's actually uh blown up to be a, a fairly decent um uh, movie star um so it was awesome to see him uh, i thought he did a fantastic job overall the acting i thought was really solid throughout the movie i thought it was very true to what the uh the environment was it at no point was i like oh god that was just like a terrible choice um and even like i said the kid was really great the only thing was like when the kid got captured and taken back to the lab i'm like okay now it's becoming like a rescue mission and they're gonna like go off mission of trying to blow up this radar tower to go rescue the kid and you know it it, it, it's where it's like where did the movie want to go at that point um well i feel like as much as i thought the kid was creepy when they captured him and took him to that lab i said so help me god if this kid ends up passing away in in this movie like i'm done i'm shutting it off like we're (laughs) If he becomes this a zombie and they have to fight their zombie. Yeah, their zombie yeah. Kid. I was like, I'm not, I'm, I'm shut it off right there if that happens. But like, he was okay. It's like, okay. They could. There is nothing much scarier than zombie children. That's for sure. So like, if you guys remember that 2000 movie, Dawn of the Dead, when they yep. redid that and the first like real zombie kill you see is with the kid in the bedroom. That was terrifying. Yeah. And you know, zombie kids are scary. So I'm really glad that that didn't happen. But Evan, I, I would assume that you probably have the most uh, knowledge of film uh, film history out of all of us. So as you as you look at Overlord and sort of the the generic 
though the acting was good, there is their sort of generic characters that you normally see in a war movie. Can you speak a bit to that? Like, you know, the, the, the grizzled army guy, the Brooklyn accent guy, the innocent guy, you know, that. Well, well, I think that was intentional. I think like they, they were looking at it as kind of a way of maybe looking at those, you know, classic World War II movies from maybe the 50s and 60s, you know, your your longest days and stuff like that, and kind of filtering it through this lens of almost like this B movie from the 80s sort of like creature feature so I think that it was useful to give you that sense of, oh, I've been here before, and then kind of turn it on its head by having the back half of it be this kind of more bizarre horror film kind of thing. Um, so I, I think that that was intentional. It worked for me of of having that kind of like hard-boiled sort of, uh, like you said, like the, like the super Italian guy that you're like, oh my God um yeah all, I think all of that stuff kind of was intentional and worked for me it would have been worse I feel like if they were trying to do a more nuanced portrayal of mm -hmm. you know like grief or loss or anything like that it's like come on let's get to the black tar <laughs> under the city let's get to you know the the superhuman soldiers um so yeah I think that was probably the intention there give you kind of a grounding like oh I've been here before I know these kind of characters and then go somewhere weird and bizarre with it. And like we said, it was very truthful. So you mean like, it was like, let's take a bunch of uh, World War II guys, these tropes, but let's throw them, they they end up in a zombie movie. And you know, when they're when he injects his buddy who dies and he you know gets up and they're all like, what the heck? And then suddenly he starts mutating and yeah. they're freaking out. You know, I think that's where I thought that everything sort of really was was shining truthfully it wasn't just like oh suddenly we're in a zombie movie and it's weird but it was like these guys like are end up in a situation that is completely crazy and they were reacting normally to all like how you probably would assume someone would react to a, an undead person you know or, an, yeah. or a mutation or something happening in front of you it was like okay they didn't just become superheroes and like yeah let's go gi joe and save the day it was like no we're in we're in an effed up situation and we're gonna try to um get through this and one other, I have two more questions. Catherine, um, you said that the kid was creepy, but if he died or turned into a zombie, you were going to turn the movie off. So my question to you is, you then at least cared about the kid, right? Oh yeah, like I, okay, I, I cared about him and I like wanted him to be okay. But I also like, there were points I was like, sitting there watching him and like watching him interact with those guys. And I'm like, okay, is he just like all of a sudden going to turn into a zombie and they've all been infected and like, they just don't know it yet. I was just like waiting for something creepy to happen with him. And I think it was because he doesn't really speak. And I know that's because obviously he, you know, he didn't speak English. So he's not going to communicate with those guys. But just like the fact that he didn't speak kind of freaked me out. And then he would just stand there and stare at them. And like, I mean, the kid who played that role was a great actor. Like the way he was a kid at that age to get them to just like stand there and be that intense and like, you know, not say anything. I know that's probably quite a feat, but like I had some sympathy for him. Like I still didn't want anything to happen to him. You know, <laughs> you know and, and I like the fact that nobody suddenly became like a, like a, like a superhero other than the guy, maybe that they pulled out of the lab and suddenly he was like, okay. But you know, you watch a movie, I want to use like Venom, Let There Be Carnage as, as an example, simply because like suddenly these characters, I know it's crazy and it's like out of left field, but it's the idea of like suddenly in the middle of the movie, this uh, the person they pull out of a prison who's been there all, all the time is suddenly like a race car driver. 
And it's like, let's just throw things in here because we can just, you know, suspend our disbelief only so far. It's like, they did a very good job in Overlord of setting up what was going to happen. And there was payoff, I think, in that. Um, there wasn't just all of a sudden, other than the serum and this sort of, you know, what is this serum kind of doing? Um, there was at least the the idea that not all of a sudden the Wyatt Russell character is uh, Captain America. Like, he gets the crap kicked out of him and then injects himself and he's a little bit better. But like, you know, there was a, a hint of truth, which I, I love. And my other question for Ryan is... Um, if they had done this as a universe building movie, where would you want it to go from here? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, uh, it would have to be, I think, right. Destroyed tower discovered during or after the war. And then it just like bleeds into like the cold war. Like then we're like dealing with like Russian commie Nazis. Like that. <laughs> that's, that's where I would like it to see. And then, some sort of movie where I, which is what I was expecting this movie to be, but where like there's a team of like American special forces and they know what they're going in there to do and they know what they're gonna face and they drop into like a Russian base deep in Siberia to take out these commie Nazis and then it's just pandemonium. Like that's where I would like to see it go. So call We're me just up. coming up with I'll ideas. Write the script. There you go. <laughs> I'm ready to go. But Why also Russell I'd like to say thank you to Evan for explaining these movie uh ideas to me because um not after hearing his explanation of why these characters were such archetypes i appreciate the movie more now <laughs> here we go <laughs> i feel like i'm gonna have a harder sell with Catherine, but <laughs> no nobody's ever gonna win me guys it's not you it's me you know <laughs> we're coming up on the holidays i don't know if this episode is going to come out before christmas but Catherine, as you sit around the family dinner table will you will you reminisce about your time with overlord and say these guys i film a podcast with made me watch the worst movie ever gosh no i don't want to scare you know like my husband's grandmother you know <laughs> like there are children there guys <laughs> evan if you could change one thing about overlord what would it be I actually agree with uh, with Ryan. I wish it was more like straight ahead zombies. I think it would have been more successful that way. Like I understand like that kind of because it's kind of playing on the idea of like the type of experiments and stuff that the Nazis were doing, like the, the idea of creating like a super soldier. Um, but I think having it be a straight zombie horde of the undead, them in you know full SS regalia, that's really the movie. I think people would have wanted to see more of. I think you would have saw a, a bit better of the $41 million return if it was something more like that. Cause that's, you know, that's the idea really Nazi zombies. And it does become kind of more of a, um, almost like a creature feature with them mutating and, mm -hmm. and like body horror type stuff. So I think something like that would have been stronger. I, I agree with that. Would you ever direct a zombie movie, Evan? Oh, I would love it. I mean, the reason I make movies is George Romero, you know, like when, ah. when, I, when I found out that, you know, when I was a kid reading about, um, you know, Night of the Living Dead, and I was just like fascinated by this like cultural landmark was made right here in Pittsburgh by just like a guy and a crew, you know, it wasn't a Hollywood type thing. And um I love the original Dawn of the Dead. I love Day of the Dead. I mean, he's like one of my biggest influences, just his ethos of like, go out there and do it yourself. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would absolutely make a zombie movie. 
Did you go watch the movie that I watched, Operation Nazi Zombies? You know, I passed on that one. Uh, <laughs> I saw that trailer as well. It looked like it was filmed, uh, you know, in an apartment uh, for $9. And I said, you know, I think I can, I think I'll just move on. But what was the budget of the original Night, uh, Night of the Dead? I want to say 40000 but I'm not 100% sure. Well, that's the difference between a $9 movie and a $40,000 movie. <laughs> you could have bought the condo it was shot in for that <laughs> budget. Um, okay, any other thoughts on Overlord? Uh, what would you give it, uh, Catherine, uh, on a, a scale of 1 to 10? I have a thought, though. I Can we talk about the ending? Can I, like, spoiler oh. alert this for a okay, second? spoiler alert, like... if, yeah. So this movie was gone for me when he went into the lab and saw all those like creepy experiments and that woman who was just a head and but she was still talking and it was like freak. I was like, I'm done with this. Okay. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on the plot, which was also, that was like my second or third mistake in this movie. I was like, okay, let's, let's focus on the plot. So it came to be known that like the only way to kill these undead beings whatever the heck we're calling them was to burn them right okay you can't shoot them you have to burn them or like he like he bashed the one guy's head in and he seemed to be done but like so then they blow up this place and he goes back and says we didn't find anything okay well how do you know they're all dead like are they actually dead this is where i was like okay if there was going to be a sequel this is what it's going to be like somebody's going to be poking around in the woods 20 years later and like a hand's just going to pop out of the dirt and there it is like there's your, you know there's your, but like i understand him not like i'm like okay he's a good guy he doesn't want anybody to like find that and take it and like do this again but like are they really dead that was what I was saying. Too many questions yeah, at the like, end. Are they really dead? I have a lot of questions. And then I'm like, Catherine, this is a rabbit hole. You just don't want to go down, so just quit. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're talking about is not Overlord 2, but a remake of Overlord. <laughs> yeah, I just need a new ending. And then <laughs> I like your idea, Ryan, though, that if this I thought sequel probably still World War II, but I like the idea of jumping forward, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh you know, into <laughs> Russian yeah. communist zombies. Like, why not? And, you know, <laughs> crazy. Um, how about Ryan? You love this movie, I think. So zero to 10. Uh, yeah, I'd give it a solid seven, five. Oh. <laughs> Catherine's opinion of you is plummeting as the minutes go. I, I, not my I, opinion I of Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> not my opinion of Ryan, like... just my opinion of his movie tastes. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a t it was a it was a six five or, or maybe a seven and, until Evan educated me on on how to make a movie, and now it's a seven five. <laughs> <laughs> and Evan, your 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 take? Yeah, I would I would give it in the uh, seven seven five range. You know, if you know what you're in store for, you know, action horror romp, let's go. If I knew there was going to be more of world building, like if I if I felt like the zombies were a little earlier in the film and I knew there was going to be a little bit more like Catherine, a wrap up of like what are what questions do I need answered? I'd probably go a little higher in my score, but I'd probably put it at a five. Like if someone said, should I watch Overlord? I'd be like, yes, but don't read up anything on it. You know, if you know nothing about it, just go into it and enjoy it for what it is. And that's what I'd probably advise somebody to do, you know. And then, you know, maybe they're surprised. Who knows? But I'd say, like, would I watch it again? Probably not. Um, if a sequel came out, I wouldn't rewatch it. But, you know, we'll see. Moving on to Fury. Um, 
which uh, I personally really enjoyed. Uh, overall, Shia LaBeouf, Brad Pitt, thought it was a really good cast. It also deals with World War II, uh, more tank warfare. Um, this one, uh, Ryan, you picked this one as well. So uh, lead us through that selection. Where, How did you find Fury and, and why did you select it? So yeah, Fury was was very popular. Uh, I I think, you know, overall it is a it is a pretty good movie. Um, I couldn't stand the ending, <laughs> but you know it is it is pretty well acted and and there's big stars in it and there's just this sense of foreboding throughout the entire movie that like this is gonna end bad and uh, and it it did touch a lot on you know this uh camaraderie between this tank crew and then just how violent and uh kind of fatalistic they the the world they lived in was so i you know i did think it was for the most part um a pretty good movie big sense of scale like you mentioned great great visuals uh and yeah i just i i thought it would be interesting since we we're kind of you know going on a world war ii kick we hadn't discussed that movie and it was a and it was a big one so um, I'll reserve some of my other comments till I hear from uh, Catherine, you, and Evan. Catherine? I mean, I so I had seen this movie years ago, not when it came out, but, um, you know, a few years ago. And uh, I think I actually own it. I think I found it in, like, one of those Walmart $5 movie bins. Like, sorry, Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf, you're better than a $5 movie bin, but that's where I found it. So I think I own the DVD. Um but I, I like I liked it. I have issues with it, but it was like it kind of kept me on edge the whole time, which I didn't mind in this case because I wasn't like scared that something was gonna jump out and scare the daylights out of me and knock me off my treadmill, like <laughs> overlord. But I mean, I, it did. It had a really good way of like I think capturing your feelings. And but like I also have a I have a couple issues with this too, but I feel like this movie also had those like couple of those character types that I'm like, okay, this mm -hmm. is what we get from the get-go. And I don't like the beginning, but we could talk about that later. <laughs> and Evan. I I'm a little hot and cold on this. I didn't see it when it first came out. Um, so I watched it for the first time this week. And it, it it feels like there's almost like two separate impulses kind of pulling the movie in different directions. And like one is like this very like grizzled sort of action movie. Mm -hmm. And then there like this other is like this prestige drama with a lot of like gravitas and stuff like that. And it felt less successful when it was doing that, like the elevated, like, like these weightier themes, um, and uh, some of like the dialogue between the guys. And then when it was like a guys in a tank movie and then like sticking together and, and doing it to survive, I thought the movie was more successful when it was doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt like some of the performances were really uneven at times and like unrestrained. Like at times it just felt like certain characters were really hamming it up. Um, mm. But uh, other times really effective scenes i thought that the action scenes were really like um really impactful really like hard-hitting um tension filled so i'm kind of in between 
I'll mention that I uh, just recorded, and, and people listening to this episode can go back and listen to it, but I just recorded with the Warrior Next Door podcast, and they did over 200 interviews with veterans for the Library of Congress, and I uh, brought up that we were going to be talking about Fury, and they said, oh, one of our veterans was uh, an advisor on that movie for Tank Warfare. They brought him in and said, how did you guys, you know, run them? What was it like in the tanks? How did you, how was warfare on the fields? Like, so there was a definitely a, a higher level of realism that they wanted to pull into that movie uh, by bringing veterans in and saying, give us, give us your knowledge on, on the workings of this. Yeah. I like that portion of it. Probably like, I'm a big fan of like process in movies when I feel like it's done well like watching someone do a job that I don't know how to do, but it like the details and the specifics of it feel very like mm -hmm. um, realistic, like them just calling for like the certain shell, like they have different shells. So it's like, you know, he'll call out a certain one and he'll load and hit and, you know, each person in the tank has a job and you understand what their job is. So like when you're in this battle and all these pieces have to move together and, you know, you know, uh, Michael Pena has to steer and then he's with the gun and then, you know, I like that. I thought that stuff was really well done. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the movie, I just have a quick question about the movie. Is they start they start off in a field after a, a major battle. Um, a, a horse comes through. Nazis walk, you know, riding his horse through this battlefield, and the tank, you know, they're all destroyed. Everything's burning. Is just like you know, just chaos. And and um, as Ryan said, there's there's really no. If you're going into fury, expect that you will see the the horrors of war. They they don't cut away from anything in this movie so there's some pretty gruesome stuff um but uh at one point after at, like at the end of that first scene the screen goes black and then suddenly they're in a camp and i i thought that like my stream messed up so i had to like rewind to be like did i miss something did they just it was like it went black for not just like a quick cut it was like i got a chunk of black screen so did i miss something was that actually intended i think so yeah Okay, everybody experienced that? Yeah, I the beginning of this movie was just weird for me, like mm -hmm. the whole white horse thing and then the quick transition. I just I don't know, I didn't like the beginning of this movie and I remember thinking that like the first time I watched it years ago, but like after that it got better, but like that whole it was just I felt like it was a weird transition. I okay. kind of agree with you there. I was like, yeah, cuz I did I rewind rewound it and everybody watching it for the first time might think the same thing, like what just happened because usually there's a quick cut and you jump right into the next thing, but this was like a long black and I was like, what just happened? Um, but uh otherwise, uh I agree with Evan like yeah, what they were doing inside the tank, the way they were communicating, one of their guys at the beginning, we're not spoiling anything, one of their guys is killed in that battle, so they have to bring in somebody new, uh this character uh um Logan, uh played by Norman Ellison is that trope is the innocent kid who's plucked out of the office job and thrown into the front line that we saw with the main character and overlord he's you know the innocent kid who who's going to be corrupted by war i feel like this is always what you see in every war film is the innocent kid getting corrupted by it um <clears throat> but i really liked him i thought he 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 added he he was our gateway into what these guys had experienced already and they had been in north africa then they were you know moved up to, to france and you know pushing through um but boy um i'll go back to the idea that that this was this was definitely like a movie that did not shy away from a lot of things yeah i would i would totally agree and i think that he is an interesting character because it it provides a a vehicle for them to 
show what the other characters are like because had he just been a guy who was a member of the crew the whole time and just what they are is accepted um and there was just like this you know sense of dread throughout the entire movie when they're fighting that big panzer tank and you know historically like the germans had these towards the end of the war these bigger more powerful tanks but we just had like so many tanks you know that it that it didn't quite matter uh there was a there was a difference in like strategy there and 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 things like that but uh i i'll tell you i think that that um that that character does set up you know so much in the movie um for the way it moves forward uh my my biggest problem with the movie uh is the is the ending um and I'll just I'll just get right into it so I can get your guys' thoughts on this, right? There is a saying uh, among tankers, uh, and it's it's usually uh, sometimes used by non-tankers as kind of a derogatory term, and it's it's called death before dismount, right? Like tankers are never basically tankers are never going to get out of their tank, and for and that's what happens at the end of the movie, right? They they have this mission, they're like the last tank. They gotta, they gotta hold this spot for as long as they possibly can, and just I'm sitting there thinking about it, like, why would you sit in that tank? <laughs> like, that makes no sense. Like, like leave one guy in the tank, and he can use the big gun. It's not going anywhere. And take those machine guns and get in those buildings and set up booby traps and home alone the crap out of this village, and then you can, <laughs> and then you'll you'll probably accomplish your mission much more effectively as the Germans are trying to take this if you're not in one single spot where they can surround and kill you. And I just, I was like, what is happening? And that was, so that was probably the, uh, the toughest part of the movie for me. And then it's just like, oh, well, yeah, you're all going to die. And then you did because you're dumb. And then it made me upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they like get out of the tank and then get back in it. So yeah, like, man, they got, yeah, like they got out of it at one point and then like, oh, we're just going to get back in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so practically, anyway, that was uh, not a good command option from Brad Pitt being like, I'm going to hold the road and uh, this is my home. Uh, I understood the story plot reasoning behind the his character's decision to like, we're going to hold the road. That was our orders. Our tank is busted. Uh, there's uh, what a bat two battalions or some crazy amount number of Nazis coming at us. So we're going to do we're going to take as many of them out as we can. Um, even by the end, the innocent guy is like, I'm with you. Like, you know, he's questioning his whole role in the war throughout the whole movie and doesn't want to kill anybody. And then like at the end, he's like, no, I'm you're you're my guy. So I'm, I'm going to stick it out. Um, but uh, yeah, not a very good decision on his part of like, hey, this is what we're going to do. And this is the only way we're going to do it. I think that my biggest problem with the movie is the the characterizations, I think, because in order for you to buy that decision, you have to be really invested in understand who these guys are mm -hmm. and their commitment to that. Cause that is a crazy decision to not like, you know, do anything other than basically commit suicide. Mm -hmm. um, and like with our main character, I do agree that that is a useful tool of like letting us into that world. I just feel like the, like, he starts off as like mega innocent, mega, I don't want to do this, like to almost like an absurd degree. And then 180 so hard yeah. into like, oh, I really like killing people. And you're like, it just felt like that could be a little more subtle, like move him towards the middle both ways. Like, you know, he's he's innocent, but not to the point where he's like falling all over the ground and 
like at one point he says kill me to to brad pitt like i'm like what is going on yeah whenever (laughs) brad pitt force forces him to execute a soldier and he would rather have brad pitt kill him than kill the other guy you're right like he was so hard line committed to not killing anybody and at the end it was like no i can do it and that was like two days right (laughs) like two days (laughs) in the tank he's ready to kill everyone and then um yeah and like brad pitt's character is kind of you know he's brad pitt so he's charismatic but he's very like one note you know very like kind of just cut and dry you know um you don't get a ton of characterization other than the scars on his back yeah and other people kind of talking about him like michael Pena is like i would i would do anything for that guy blah 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 mm-hmm. so i guess that that was kind of my my big problem is i didn't 100% buy into exactly who these guys were so when they made that decision it was kind of like baffling and it almost felt like it was just to set up 45 minutes of action yeah well kind of to piggyback off evan's point too this is something that i was questioning like he makes that transition from innocence to killer but like i kind of lost the concept of time in this movie so i didn't know like how long he had been there and how long that transition was going because it really does seem like five like five minutes he's gone from I can't hurt anybody to I'm, you know, manning this gun and it's fine. So like the concept of time was lost to me in this morning in or in this um, movie, because it feels like it's always daytime. So like, there's never that like, okay, we feel like we went into like another day or another week or whatever, you know, it just, that, that threw it off a little bit for me too. Cause I'm like, in my, in the back of my mind, I had this thought at one point, like, when are they sleeping? Like, did they sleep? Did they stop? Like, how long did it take to get from A to B, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead, Ryan. Oh, just a, another. You know, when we talk about this sense of foreboding and the and the mm-hmm. and how these characters change, but you know, what really stuck with me throughout the the movie was this theme of just like war is the meat grinder, right? Like it was next man up the whole time, and it was like we lost this many people, like get some replacements, like we have to keep moving forward. And there's just so much that, and even in the final battle, they're just like it's one tank, like. I, you know, like the Germans, are like we got to take that out, and they're just keep sending people at it, and their people are getting mowed down until they get, you know, the 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 Panzerfaust to like start launching rockets at this thing. But it it is, it's just the whole movie, the opening scene, the tank battle, the final battle, right? It's just carnage and death, and just keep, you know, and it. Uh, I think that that is a uh, a scene throughout the entire movie that there's that war is just this meat grinder and yeah. there's so few ways to to stand out or, or do something special or something that affects anything you just have to go out there and, and do your mission and that young guy you know realizes that however long it takes him to do it one day two days I, you know who knows it is tough to to tell time but yeah it's uh that was a that was a powerful that was a powerful impression that the movie left on me I will say that, you know, a lot of times you think about uh, World War II, you think about America, the conquering heroes and like, you know, but it these guys that were in the movie, Shia LaBeouf's character, John Bernthal, um, uh, Michael Pena, uh, Brad Pitt, it was almost like none of these guys were redeemable. Even Shia LaBeouf's character, who seems like he's much more religious, um, all of them have done really terrible things. And John Bernthal's character is, is almost completely irredeemable in this in this movie. He <laughs> is just he is just an insane, crazy person. And a they truly try... unfortunate haircut. 
It's truly unfortunate. <laughs> uh, yes. yeah. But they, they, they try to give him some humanity right before the final battle, which kind of lands flat in a lot of ways, I think, uh, when he's talking with, you know, the, that just the very innocent uh, Logan Lerman character. Um, but uh, um, I'm, oh, I'm trying to. Oh, OK. So after the tank battle and they roll into this town and um, there's this whole scene, very long scene in the middle of the movie. And, and I think this is where like Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf like earned their paycheck really is like, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to go be in an action movie. But I want I want some character development in my movie. So can we do something there? So instead of like having tank battle after tank battle, there's this great point where they hit up, they get into this town, they, they take it over. And then Brad Pitt and the innocent guy go into this apartment where there's a woman and uh, her niece and um, things could, again, could go real South real quick. Where's this going to go? What's going to happen here? And and I think the, the main point of that whole scene, which is quite long is uh, that Brad Pitt gets a taste of home before he's pulled back into the war mindset. He he's able to live like he thinks he would. And then Shia LaBeouf and John Bernthal's character come in and they pull him, drag him, kicking and screaming back into the reality of this isn't your life um you're a warrior you we're in we're in the meat grinder um and i think that's where the decision is made from bad pitt's character of like the tank is my home like this this is a fantasy i can never have that and if i'm gonna die i'm gonna die in the war and i'm gonna do my mission um so i i though it was a long scene i felt like it was very integral to the to the plot of the movie and understanding the characters as much as we could but also in that scene is why i think john berthold's character is just irredeemable shia labeouf even as much as you see him being sort of religious even in that scene you see him playing with that other side of like who am i going to side with am i going to side with brad pitt or am i going to side with john berthold's character um i would love to get you guys' take on that on that sort of that part of the movie well, I think too, if you're comparing it to like Brad Pitt's character thinking like that's home, there's a lot of symbolism to be said with the fact that the bombs come in and then that apartment is completely destroyed. Like his mm -hmm. his ideals, if you're comparing it to that, like his ideals of what his life could be are totally destroyed in that point. And then it's mm -hmm. like, okay, there's nothing, there's nothing left. So like that's, I didn't think about it like that, but now that you say it like that and then, you know, seeing the building be destroyed, that's an interesting like moment for his character. It's also for the innocent kid because like that's the only that's the only thing that i could say he pivoted to being like this you know crazy i'm gonna kill everybody type character like his his world was also shattered at that point he thought he like found a woman and like they fell in love and then she dies in it getting bombed and suddenly he i think he's on a revenge quest at that point yeah, yeah. i think it kind of keeps moving forward that 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 kind of narrative and that theme that you know in innocence doesn't survive in in the in the meat grinder of war and uh i think that for both of those characters just like you said i think that is that is why that is that scene is important is that it reminds brad pitt and it shows you know the the innocent character what what war is really like and to start having thoughts of home to start taking your head out of the game that's not only dangerous for you, but for Brad Pitt's character as the leader, it's dangerous for them, right? If their leader mm. is not on point, if their leader is not thinking about what's going on, this guy that they've trusted through all of these things and have, you know, unbelievable faith in, if he's not in the game, like their survival rate in their minds is going to go down. Little they know that he was going to select a suicide mission, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, which never mind, it did, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I, there are, I like the themes of this movie and I like, you know, what it's trying to say and do with the characters, but like John Barenthal, who I really like as an actor, Mm -hmm. um, agreed his his character is it almost comes off like a high school bully it like throughout most of the movie so it's kind of hard to get invested in him and 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 in that scene i think is the first time that shia labeouf's character cries and then he cries in almost every scene after that and because acting exactly you know so it just felt like especially their two performances i didn't feel like they showed the restraint that could have made those themes land harder Mm. because it felt more like just two actors going for it you know and it kind of takes you out of you know and brad pitt's being a bit more reserved like you know he's he's uh kind of like still waters run deep kind of guy like i bought him as like the head of this um Michael Payne is a little more reserved. And then you have like these two guys that are just like out Southern each other with their accents. And like, so I did like what that scene was trying to do, but I think once they came back in, it was like, Oh, I forgot that this is this kind of movie again. (laughs) These guys are are really going for it. When you say going for it, it's like Shia LaBeouf wanted like, uh, you know, um, what what is that award called at the Oscars? The, uh, um, best actor best actor but best best co-actor what's that one best, oh, best supporting, supporting actor. Best supporting thanks i couldn't think of supporting uh so you you think like when you say that you mean like shia labeouf is going for like best supporting actor in fury like he just really was you know i'm gonna act the heck out of this scene yeah every yeah it was the most acting you could do like and they were both <laughs> trying to throw the most acting into one scene as, as possible i'm gonna say yeah, that to my daughter from now on this is the most <laughs> acting you can do yeah <laughs> And uh, yeah, it just, it felt like that kind of held me back from investing as much. It, it pulled me out of a lot of scenes because it was like, oh man, like, you know, really love going that. for that nomination. That's my favorite quote of the year. What is the most acting I can do? <laughs> yeah. That's, I think that's, a, that, that's the best description I, I've, I've heard so far. That's how we're going to start doing our movie reviews. We're just going to be here laughing and crying and throwing hands. And (laughs) (laughs) Who can do the most acting? Okay, here's a question, Evan. You're a director. Um, You get into a scene like that and the actor is doing all the acting they can do. What, how do you, how do you make them more reserved? How do you pull them back? I I think that you have to, um, you know, get them to a point where they're more in the reality of the scene, you know, kind of understanding, um, you know, do you really think that a World War II soldier in this circumstance would be crying at a dime like this? Do you really think that if you were in this situation, you knew that you had to, you have this rookie who you're trying to break in, would you be this like sociopathic towards him? Do you really think that? Like, you know, trying to get them down to, you know, making more, um, because when, when you have an actor doing that, they're not really making choices. You know, they're making a lot of choices and sometimes making just that one choice, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and typically actors can be kind of, you know, they're emotional animals. So probably what, what I would do if I saw, <laughs> if, yes. if, I, if I saw a take like that, 
you know, what I would probably do is pull them aside and be like, that was good. What I really liked is this thing right here that you did. Like this, you know, I pick one, start with the compliment and then say, why don't we just back up the stuff around it so that that can really shine just that one thing that you did. And then the rest maybe take down just a, just a hair. Catherine, do you we ever experience <laughs> Catherine, do you ever experience that live on the air? You're like, well, the weatherman is just acting the heck out of this today. Well, so here's the thing, like news is so different. It's like the opposite of acting. We have to underact. Like we have to, you know, you can't like, you read things that are sad and you can't be like, oh, I want to cry right now, but mm -hmm. you have to. So it's like the complete opposite. That's why I'm like, God, you know, somebody needs to rewind this time and put Evan on that movie set and like not be afraid to tell mm -hmm. like, Shia LaBeouf and whoever like you're That's doing a... awful because it's like somebody was scared <laughs> to tell them you're too much <laughs> I keep what every time I watch last week tonight and they do like a, and now this and they show like across the country all of sort of the local news stations doing something hamming it up in some way I'm like am I gonna see Catherine on this one like is... oh I mean <laughs> like oh. you totally probably could last week I wore like light up snowflake ears on television I mean like I have no shame there as much as we're serious like there are moments of levity but like I have no shame I've done some weird things in my life. <laughs> that's awesome that's a, that's another episode for another day so. <laughs> you do that and the scuttlebutt becomes on the map so ham it up as much yeah. as you can <laughs> yeah there, there we go we'll just put I'll end up on like Jersey, they do that on like some of those late night talk shows too. They'll be like a weird story and they're like, everybody reported this. I'm like, I'm waiting for that some night because then that'll be my moment. And then I can, then you guys can be like, oh, by the way, you see this clown? She's also on the scuttlebutt. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at the end of the movie, this maybe a question for you, Ryan, is, you know, our innocent guy, spoiler alert, our innocent guy survives. Um, you know, he gets under the tank and a German soldier who's probably him from the beginning of the movie sees him and doesn't doesn't shout him out doesn't kill him but the only thing i could think of is that he gets picked up by the americans who have now taken over that area they did their job you know, they completed the mission he gets pulled off the front line but boy i can imagine that the things that this kid went through are just going to be like that's he's not going to be in a good place for for most of his life after this if we saw fury 2 you're talking about the the american kid yeah our innocent oh, kid oh yeah for sure, yeah. I think that that's a, I think that's an accurate prediction. I think it's going to take him a a long time to to get over the fact not only what he went through, but then like who he lost, and then you know the survivor's guilt and things like that. That that's definitely going to be something that that probably sticks with that that character for a, a long time. That's the character that we see at the beginning, like saving Private Ryan, who's standing there, and like, and then you know, you go into his eyes, and you know, suddenly it's D Day and all of this stuff. Yeah, but that's the thing I think about, you know, after working with VBC for so long and and listening to the veterans tell their stories, not to like come full circle and start to, you know, I'm going to promote VBC, but you know, the stories that we hear aren't necessarily always like, well, I'm going to tell you about Fury, and I'm going to tell you about like all of the gruesome meat grinder aspects of war, um, but you know, I, I tend to think about these things whenever I watch a movie because I'm like, well, this guy became a veteran. This guy came back to America. This guy's going to tell his story. Um, and we just witnessed, you know, the, the, the horrific things that he had to go through and accomplish to complete his mission. Um, no less a hero, no less somebody who, you know, put his life on the line for the country. All this stuff like sort of like boils in my head as I'm like watching war movies now because like can't just sit and watch a 
you know, zombie Nazi movie without thinking like these guys are going to be pretty messed up later, like having to go into a lab and <laughs> blow up a bunch of superhuman zombies. Well, Sean, fair. I kind of think the same thing too. And I think that is, you know, the nature of like the business we're both in. Like I interview so many veterans and I do see these things. And I think, and especially when you're talking about that World War II era, because I've done you know, so many interviews with veterans who there wasn't like the understanding of what happens like after you come home and how you cope with that in that era. So like, I also briefly had this, had the same thought and I'm like one of those that thinks like, okay, but what happens after? And I think that's because, you know, of the people that you and I have talked to. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and one other thought about this, I'm going back to that sense of scale, that idea of like anybody who's watching Fury and that point where they look up and see all those bombers go over. I was just like, I was sort of blown away by that point. It was just like, did it look like that? I can't imagine looking up and seeing that much firepower, that much uh, weaponry all in line and then witnessing something like that. That would that would just be unbelievable in a way because there were on these bombing runs, there would be how many planes going over? Do we know like, you know, was it hundreds? Was it, you know... It would have to be hundreds. And I've never seen anything like that. I've maybe seen things in training or in or in real world, maybe a fifth, not not even a fifth, like five percent of that size. And it is so impressive, right? Like when you see something like that. Like I've seen, you know, four pieces of artillery shoot at something, or like one fighter jet drop like one or two bombs. And it's that's in itself is like, oh my God, to see like that on that scale, it would be I mean mind-boggling crazy mm -hmm. so for both of our movies we had a fairly quote-unquote realistic take on war uh in two different aspects uh you know airborne bombing run and then tank warfare um i, I would rate them both highly on those particular notes personally it's when we get into the character and plot that we sort of see like okay there's the hollywoodization of these of these movies yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know how realistic Overlord was after the first 25 minutes. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, I think our, our next two, I, I can't remember. Catherine, you picked prior to Brian? I think so. Yep. Yeah, Is it Evan's she, had, turn? she had never seen Top Gun. That's oh, right. That's I picked the Top Guns. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, getting so that for it... Christmas. I could just, I'm going to go back and watch that for our next movie review. So. <laughs> just top talk gun maverick again rewatch <laughs> did you guys see the trailer this is a, a rabbit hole there's a trailer that somebody made top gun maverick with cats no i got it please oh look that up on youtube it's incredible someone like you know put in a cat in the in the fighter jet seat this will be the second bad trailer you've sent us this in, this, in these last <laughs> yeah, couple weeks. There's, there's that one and then there's uh top gun maverick legos so but you know, I just love all things Top Gun Maverick. But if you check out those two trailers, they're they're pretty epic. And the other people, they you know, I don't know, maybe people just have too much time on their hands. <clears throat> so I guess Evan, it'll be your choice for our okay. next ones. All right. So we'll be looking forward to the selections you have. I loved Ryan's choices simply because they elicited such lively conversation. Yes, there I we go. Nobody can go into, nobody can come out of Top Gun Maverick and be like, boy, I hated that movie. I hated this piece of it. Let's, you know, dish on it. You just watch it and go, I just feel good. Yeah, that was awesome. Commie Nazis would hate that movie. Commie That's Nazis. Right. I need to go find a commie Nazi. 
well, thank you guys so much for yet another uh, fun movie review. Uh, we'll continue on doing these because I think if anything, if nobody watches it, we all get to sit down and dish about movies, which is, is always fun. Yeah. Um, Very fun. Thank you for having me, guys. Of course. Thank you, Catherine, Evan. Um, well, I, ha- I hope you guys have a happy holiday. If anybody's watching this after the holidays, uh, we're coming up to Christmas. Hope everyone listening has a really happy holiday. Um, uh, so yeah, Evan, let us know what what your uh, your two picks are, and uh, we'll get we'll get on that. Sounds good. I'll do a little research, pick something good. Nice. All right. And our audience, like, share, subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube. So you're the first to know whenever we release new episodes and email me, Sean, S-H-A-U-N at veteransbreakfastclub.org. If you're like, hey, you guys really need to check this movie out and we'll run it by our review board. Um, and uh, as an FYI, uh, we are expecting at the beginning of the year, my wife and I, so uh, we will have a bit of a hiatus for the scuttlebutt at the beginning of next year, but we will be back with all new episodes throughout the year. Um, so look forward to that. Uh, thank you guys again and uh, hope to talk to you all soon. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for watching this episode of The Scuttlebutt. I'd like to take a moment to thank both of our sponsors, the first being DND Metal Recycling and Auto Salvage. They began as a small hauling and used auto parts operation in the Pittsburgh area in the late 1970s, but they've grown into a full-service metal recycling company with two locations, Lawrenceville and Tarentum. DND accepts all types of metal, both ferrous and non-ferrous, that may be generated by industrial manufacturing, construction and demolition, small commercial entities, as well as individual customers. They have a wide variety of material handling equipment and are capable of managing any type of job in a timely and efficient manner. You can contact them for quotes and availability at D&D. That's D&D Auto Salvage. Uh, thank you so much to DND. Uh, they've been a sponsor for quite some time, and we really appreciate their support. Uh, the second being Tobacco Free Adagio Health. They are dedicated to reducing and preventing tobacco use and to getting the word out about the hazards of smoking and secondhand smoke. They're all about health. So they want people to quit, and they have classes and nicotine replacement therapy and a popular quit line, which is the easiest number to remember ever 1 800 quit now. They also educate people, children especially, about tobacco use from cigarettes, cigars, pipes, chew snuff, and other nicotine products like vaping. Finally, Tobacco-Free Adagio Health advocates for public and private policies that ensure healthy places to live, work, and play. You can learn all of what Tobacco-Free Adagio Health offers at tobaccofree.adagiohealth.org, or you can watch our recent episode with Tobacco-Free Adagio Health on the Scuttlebutt, uh, where they talk about a lot of the programs that they offer for those who are looking to quit. Thank you to both of our sponsors for their continued support of the Scuttlebutt podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks.